Hey guys, thanks for being here. Seriously, I, I know we say that a lot, but we actually do mean it. Like we know you guys are given your time and a night of your week to be here and, and we're grateful. And I am excited to introduce to you guys our, our series for the rest of the semester, a series through the book of Romans. And I, I mean, I'm excited for every series that we do because I just get pumped about stuff like that and most things in life. But I'm particularly excited about Romans because this is the book that changed my life. So I, I figured out how to be a Christian through reading the book of Romans. I figured out what grace meant in every aspect of my life, and I found a simple message, the message of the gospel that I get it. A lot of you have heard that you know, and you've heard some of these verses from Romans quoted, but I found a simple message that changed everything about my life, and it's the reason why I'm here. It's the reason why I know you guys. It's the reason why we picked up and moved from where we live to come here. It's the reason why I'm in college ministry is because it's changed my life, and I want to watch Jesus changed the world through that message. And I think that he can. And I'm not the only one that's been kind of changed through this book. There's been a lot more important people throughout the history of the world that have been transformed through this thing. So, so Martin Luther, I think you guys, a lot of you know Martin Luther, but he's the guy that started Lutheranism um, and the Reformation. And he was actually a, a Catholic monk before he, was, he started this this movement, and he was like the best monk around. He, he had a super guilty conscience, and, and so he was at confession all the time, and he was doing all this religious stuff, and he really wanted to know God, but he couldn't figure it out. He always felt like God was against him, and he couldn't figure out how to have consistent relationship with God. And then he started reading Romans, and, and he was reflecting. This is kind of cool that we know this. He was reflecting on verse 17, which is one of the verses we're going to talk about tonight, and he became a Christian. So I actually want to read you a quote from Martin Luther about reading Romans 1.17, which I don't, I don't know whether you guys think this is cool or not, but I'm hyped about it. Like, I think this is awesome. And so just, even if you're not, just get in it with me. This is Martin Luther. I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Thereupon, fancy old word, thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. Whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This, this passage of Paul became to me, I love this, became to me a gateway into heaven. The dude had been around Christianity his whole life and then he started thinking about the righteousness of God and something clicked. The power of God was unleashed in his life and it was like a gateway into heaven. And so before every salt company, we kind of are in the back in this kind of swanky little green room back there praying for you guys. And my prayer this tonight and for the rest of the semester is that that would happen for some of you. That, that whether, even if, if you don't know Jesus or you do know him, that he would wake you up through the book of Romans and he would transform you on the spot by the power expressed through his gospel because that's what he's promised us that he can do. And so this, this letter, it was a letter written by the apostle Paul to the church in Rome. So I think a lot of you are familiar with Paul. He wrote a majority of the New Testament, but it's crazy that this dude would write one of the most influential letters in the history of Christianity because he was the guy that hated Christians 
He was, he was actually next level on that. He was actually killing Christians. And so this guy that was killing Christians becomes the guy that writes this incredible letter about Jesus. What happened? Well, he encountered Jesus. So Paul's walking along the road, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and strikes him blind. And then a voice from heaven is like, hey, Paul, stop persecuting me and start following me. And when a voice from heaven strikes you blind and tells you to do something, you listen. And so on the spot, Paul was transformed, and he went from the biggest hater of Christianity to the biggest advocate for it. And this is kind of the pinnacle of his work. He writes it to this church in Rome, was this little group of persecuted Christians that were in the, the, the center of the known world. You guys have heard about Rome. This was the peak of Rome when it was at kind of its most glorious time, right? Rome ruled everything. It was the center of everything, and there's this little band of Christians that Paul writes this letter to, and he wants to communicate to them a really simple but profound thing. He wants to communicate to them the gospel. And so the, the introduction to the book is what we're focusing on tonight, verses 1 uh, through 17, and I just want to talk about that message, the gospel, but while we're going, I want to kind of pull out some main ideas that we're going to see throughout this semester. So we're going to just touch on them. And, and don't worry, if you don't fully catch it, we're going to get to all of them later in the book. I just want to start to show you some of those main ideas. But this is where we're going. I want to give you kind of a definition of the gospel and then break it up into to sort of three parts. So first, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. And it's for everyone and it allows, us to act, it allows us access to the righteousness of God through faith. The gospel is the good news about Jesus for everyone, allowing us access to the righteousness of God through faith. So that's where we're going. So first one, it's, it's the good news about Jesus. Romans 1, 1 through 6. If, if you have a Bible app on your, on your phone, you can follow along. I like to do that so that I can kind of read through stuff as we're going, but it's also going to be on the screens. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was a descendant from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're talking about the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Well, it just simply means good news. That's how that word is translated. And, 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 and this is the good news about Jesus Christ. So I want to I break that down. First, it's, it's news. So what do you do when you hear news? It, it's not something that you can create. It's something that somebody else has done that you just respond to. And if it's good news, you respond in joy. It's, it's pretty simple, right? But we always forget that. We always forget that it's news. Have you ever seen somebody that can't take a compliment? They just deny everything you say to them. Hey, your hair looks really nice today. I haven't showered in five months. <laughs> Why? Why do we do that? It's because we don't think we deserve the compliment, right? So you try and discredit it. Okay, I think we kind of do the same thing as Christians. So this is what we do. God, this is his message to us. I love you. I want relationship with you. I don't care what you've done. I want to know you. And we're like, but I haven't read my Bible this week. Or, God, that sin that I told you I would never do again, I, I went back to it so, so I don't deserve it. And so we push him away. 
And, and here's what we want. We don't want news. We want a job description. Because we see our inadequacy and we want to kind of work our way back to being right with God. And we realize that we're not actually worth his love. But let me let you in on a secret. That's the whole point. You're not worth his love, but he wants to give it to you anyway. But we want a job description. Some of you guys, you're freaked out about application. So you show up at Salt Company and you're like, bro, stop talking about theology and this big picture stuff. Give me something to do. What do you want me to go do? Or you go to your connection group, you want to get to the application, you read your Bible, you underline that one little thing, you like circle it a bunch of times, and then you really try and work hard and go do it that day. And then you come back to it the next day and you forgot that the whole thing happened. We're obsessed with application because we want a job description. But let me give you an application for this week. Stop thinking about application so much. Start enjoying your life and enjoying the fact that the God of the universe loves you. He's got news for you about what he's done, not about what you need to do for him. Enjoy it. That's what you do with good news. All right, so what's that news about? What's that news about? Verse three. It's concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the gospel is about Jesus, the son of God, who's both the descendant of David and he's declared to be the son of God in power. Okay, okay so what does that mean? It means that the gospel is a message about God, a God who's both strong and weak, who's both human and divine. So why is that the news that we needed? Because we needed someone weak enough to empathize with us in our pain and strong enough to actually deal with it. We needed someone weak enough to actually empathize with us in our pain, but strong enough to actually deal with it. All right, so imagine with me that your, your girlfriend comes up to you and like clearly some, like is, something is really bothering her. She's very upset, right? And, and she's maybe got tears in her eyes. And, and she, she tells you the whole story. She just, she spills it, and then she just looks at you. Christian, what are you going to do, man? You don't actually have to answer that. I'm not going to call you out. But, but what are you going to do? Some of you are thinking, I'm going to figure out the problem, and I'm going to solve it. Wrong. Rookie mistake. You don't try and solve the problem. That's the worst thing you can do. And the words of Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec, you got two words. That sucks. You just empathize. You don't try and fix it. It's not going to go well, all right? You just empathize. Why? Because we're human beings. We're not robots, right? We don't just want to be fixed when we're broken. We, we need to be loved. Here's the deal. Jesus made himself weak, a human being, so that he could empathize with you in your weakness. He doesn't just want, he, he doesn't just want to fix you. He wants relationship with you. And, and I, I've been thinking about this week, that this week, that idea that the God of the universe would empathize with us in our weakness, and it's blowing my mind because most of the weakness that we have is self-inflicted. Here's what I mean by that is the reason why we're weak, the reason, reason why we're hurting is primarily because of our sin. Sin destroys your life. It leaves you a shadow of who you were supposed to be. You don't get to experience the life that you were supposed to have, and it breaks you. 
It's self-inflicted wounds. So in the Bible, God gives us an analogy for sin. It's in the book of Hosea. And this is what he says sin is. It's like committing adultery. It's like cheating on God. Here's why. Because in sin, you go off to love something else instead of loving him. It's like cheating on God. So imagine this. I, I hope that none of you have experienced what that's like. But my guess is in a room this size, some of you know the pain of, of something like that happening. Imagine that you've cheated on that person that you care about and then you go home and you tell them and that this is their response. Not only do they immediately forgive you on the spot, but they empathize with your pain. That must be so hard for you to experience how bad you've hurt me. You've hurt me. That must be terrible to deal with that. Not only forgiveness, but empathy. That's what Jesus does for you. You're breaking his heart with your sin. I'm breaking his heart with my sin. And he empathizes with my pain. That's nuts. But if you think that it's okay for you to just stay there in that sin, to just kind of sit in it, you're wrong. It's not just that he's weak, but he's strong. The resurrection proved that sin doesn't have to dominate your life anymore. Here's why. Because the power that rose Jesus from the dead, the person of the Holy Spirit, the same being that got Jesus up out of the grave, if you're a Christian, lives inside of you. And his goal is to teach you how to live the Christian life. That's the power of God that's infused into your life so that you actually can be different. You actually can change. And that brings us to kind of the, the heartbeat of this first point, verse five, second half. The point of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The obedience of faith. So that's a big theme that we're going to see throughout Romans is what's the relationship of faith and obedience? Do you have to obey in order to please God? What's the relationship? Does obedience save you or is it irrelevant to your standing with God? Well, here's what I think he's saying. Here's how they come together. When you actually believe the news about the strong and weak God, it'll change your life. You'll begin to actually follow him. You'll begin to actually obey him. So did you guys hear about this bomb threat in Hawaii a couple weeks ago? Uh, Connor was there, so everybody's looking at Connor. This, this happened to him. So if you've been living under a rock and you didn't hear about this, no, Hawaii didn't get bombed, but there was a bomb threat. And, and so this is what happened. People were like chilling in restaurants. You were in a restaurant, right? Yeah, okay, so I should have just had Connor come up and tell this story, but I didn't think about that, so I'll tell it for you. Correct me if I'm wrong, Connor. So people are chilling in restaurants, and then their phones go off, and there's this message that says, hey, there's a ballistic missile headed for Hawaii. You gotta get out. And so I assume people like freaked out. Connor said that like nobody paid for their food. They all just took off and everybody's running for shelter. And here's what happened. Some dude literally pushed the wrong button. Like there was a red button and some guy pushed it and then the whole island shut down. And, and I've actually found out since then that it took him 40 minutes to correct it and that's because like the mayor of Hawaii couldn't figure out his Twitter account. He like couldn't figure out his login. Info. Like it's just a straight train wreck. What has nothing to do with this but I just can't believe... Just like, what? Dude pushed the wrong button, and then he couldn't get in Twitter. All right. So they get this message on their phone, and it, like, shuts the whole island down. 
let me ask you this. So those same people had gotten text messages on their phones that they had ignored. <gasps> people do that? Yeah, they do. They ignore your text messages. I'm sorry. Or those people had gotten like spam in their email that they had deleted and nothing had happened. But they get a, a message about a ballistic missile and everybody takes off. Why? Because the significance of the message matters for how you respond. If it's a matter of life and death, it's going to immediately spur action in you. Here's what I'm telling you. The message of Jesus Christ is a matter of life and death. You, you can't take this lightly. This can't be just something that you throw into your life. This is the thing that defines you. It's the centerpiece of where you'll spend eternity. There's life and death consequences. And if you get that message, it will change everything about your life. You'll immediately go into action and you'll start to obey him. Here's the deal. If somebody got that message in Hawaii, let's say this is Connor. You're now in my illustration, Connor. So everybody gets this message in Hawaii and Connor just chills in the diner just drinking his coffee, just sipping his cup of coffee. And you're running past that diner and you see Connor just chilling there. What are you going to think about him? One, that he's insane, maybe. Or that he didn't get the message. If someone were to look at your life in the way that you live, would they see that you got the message? Is it different? And if you're just here because you grew up calling yourself a Christian... I, I am actually glad you're here, okay? I'm not, I'm not gonna go that far. I'm not gonna rail on you that much. I want you to be here, but can, can you just stop calling yourself a Christian? Can we just call this what it is? You don't actually wanna follow Jesus. If you get this message, it changes everything about your life. And here's the good news about that is that you actually can stop sinning. Yeah, I'm talking about you. That sin that you've fought for years and you've never been able to stop. The doubts that haunt you that, that you think will never leave, you can stop because the resurrected son of God is the Lord of your life and he sent his power into you to change you. And so I wanna invite you back into the fight. If you've given up, you gotta come back in. You gotta start to live a different life and he can do that in you. He's powerful enough. All right, point two. The gospel is the good news about Jesus, and I'm actually gonna throw in that helps you to obey him. And it's open to everyone. The message is open to everyone. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but this far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So, so there's a couple different types of people that, that Paul's talking to. There's these Greeks and there's these barbarians. But there's a second set of people that are really important to the book of Romans. In fact, a lot of people think that, that the entire book of Romans kind of surrounds this issue between the Jews and the Gentiles. So you guys have maybe heard that lingo before, but here's what you need to know. The Jews were considered the people of God. They were descendants from this dude Abraham that we're going to talk about in chapter 4. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But they were considered to be the people of God. 
and, and, and they thought that they were the people of God because of their lineage, because of their family lines, because they had always grown up Christian, I guess for them as they had always grown up Jewish. And so they thought they were in the people of God and therefore that everyone else was outside of the people of God. Those are the Gentiles. So as you can maybe guess, there was some beef with each other here. They didn't exactly love each other. And in the Roman church, there were both Jews and Gentiles. And, and there, was some, there was some conflict, there was some baggage that they had to overcome and Paul writes to them and he says, you gotta figure this out, you gotta be unified. And you see what they were doing? They were doing what human beings do, which is dividing up into groups of people that are like you, that agree with your way of life and your way of thinking and it's not necessarily that they were intentionally doing this to kind of shame the other groups, but by the nature of kind of gathering around each other, they were excluding everyone else. For us, that might be stuff that on surface level doesn't seem that bad. Maybe you hang out with other people who like sports. Maybe you hang out with smart people. Maybe there's some, some stuff that's actually a little bit worse. Maybe you hang out with only people from your race or maybe only people from your socioeconomic class, do you realize that by being at a pretty prestigious university, that that kind of excludes you from other people, from people from a different socioeconomic class than you? There's, there's division, there's separation from these groups, and it's not just kind of in this, this macro way, it's also in these individual decisions and, and motivations that you have. So it's stuff like comparison. Do you walk into Salt Company and, and try and figure out who's better looking than you and worse looking than you? Who's more popular than you and less popular than you and kind of where you stand? Do you want other people to succeed or do you kind of hate it when they do because you kind of want them to fail so that you look better? There's people in this room that are holding bitterness towards other people in this room. And here's what you're doing by holding that bitterness is you're chipping away at the foundation of unity in Christ that we're supposed to have because this is what's true about the gospel is all of those things that used to divide us don't have to anymore. That instead of gathering together around the differences between us, we can come together around the unity that we have in Christ and we can all look at him and we can be one unified community and that's gonna demonstrate who Jesus is. But when you hold on to bitterness, when you compare, when you're defensive and you don't let people in, you chip away at that unity and you're affecting this body. That like, like Salt Company, you're, you're damaging it by those decisions. He calls us to unity. And some of you have been on the other side of that, right? So you're not the one excluding as much as being excluded. Some of you have been excluded from friend groups, from employers, maybe even your own family. And, and here's what you gotta know. Here's what you gotta know. Jesus will never leave you. He bridged every divide to come and get you so that you can come into the people of God. Here's one of the fundamental truths of the gospel is that anybody can come in. Anybody. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter your regrets, your background, where you're from, your personality type, your gender. You can come in to the people of God and you can find a family 
that will work hard to love you, not perfectly, but in the image of Jesus will work hard to love you. You can come in. You can't think of a single reason that would exclude you from the people of God. Now, does that mean that every single person that lives is in the people of God? No. The people of God are those who access it by faith. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. They're those who access it by faith. But if you want in, you can come in. That's all it takes. And if you get that, like if you really get that, that God will let anybody come to him and that he wants to just destroy those divides, do you know what'll happen? You're gonna begin to share that awesome news with people around you. Do you know why you live where you live? It's not because it's, it's cheap or because you have some friends that live there or because you're close to campus. It's because God put you there because he wants the person that lives next to you to know him. Because he wants that person to see a walking representation of what Jesus Christ is like in your life. And that had started to happen to the Romans. So there's this little detail that you can just kind of blow past, but I, I want us to see it. And it's in verse eight. And it says that this little persecuted band of Christians, that their faith had become known around the world. This just small, insignificant group of people surrounded by a secular society that was often kind of laughed at or, or kind of pushed to the side, their faith had be, become known all around the world. Do you think that that can happen here? I do. Someone might look at this room and go, this is an insignificant portion of the population of college students in the Twin Cities. I look at this room and I go, God's gonna change the world. People are gonna enter the kingdom of God and you know how he's gonna do it? He's gonna do it through you. God's changed the world before through college students and I think he can do it again. So I wanted to tell you about this guy named Samuel Mills. Maybe some of you have heard of him. I know a lot of you haven't. Samuel Mills was a seemingly ordinary college student that went to um, Williams College in the 1800s. And in 1806, Samuel and some of his buddies decided to just pray for how God would use them to reach people overseas, to reach the world, to tell them about Jesus. And so they were in the field and they were actually debating whether kind of the theology of if they should go overseas and they were praying and then this thunderstorm came on. And so they went and they hid inside of this haystack, like a giant pile of hay they went and hid in it, and in the storm, they prayed and asked God that he would change the world through them. And here's what happened through Samuel Mills and four of his buddies. They went back to that spot, and they began to pray consistently that God would change the world. And then they started a missions organization that has sent 5,000 missionaries overseas. And those missionaries have built schools, they've built hospitals, thousands of people around the world have come to know Jesus because Samuel Mills decided to take a step out in faith and he believed that God could use him. And he started the modern missions movement. So if you've supported a missionary or if you've heard of missionaries overseas, it goes back to Samuel Mills. He was a college student. That can be you. Because Nick Jackson, 
Some of you guys know Nick. He's a, he's a student in this group. Well, he's not here right now because he's overseas, lame, but I'm going to talk about him behind his back. Nick Jackson just invites people to Salt Company all the time. And some of you are in this room because Nick Jackson invited you, and some of you know Jesus because Nick Jackson told you about Jesus. I want you to believe that you can be a part of something bigger than you. I want you to believe that Jesus wants to do something with your life that's bigger than anything that you could ever imagine. I want you to believe that God can change the world through insignificant people in a seemingly insignificant place and that it can be through simple steps of obedience. I think he's gonna change the world through this room. I think people are gonna tell stories about what happened at the U someday. And I think you're gonna be a part of that, but it's gonna take simple steps of talking to the person on your dorm floor. Simple steps of making decisions to quit hanging out with Christians so much and listening to so much Christian music and to start living with people that don't know Jesus and getting to know them. Christian music is fine, just don't listen to so much of it. I don't know why that was in my rant, but I'm, I'm fired up and you listen to too much Christian music. I believe you can change the world. And here's how you see the world changed. It's through the, the simple message of power. The simple message of power, point three, is that people can access God through the righteousness that's offered to them by faith. So we're coming to what a lot of people think is the theme of Romans, that the rest of the book actually unpacks these next two verses. And these are the verses that Martin Luther read when he became a Christian. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, so, so three kind of rapid fire observations from that. First, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Second, the gospel is accessed by faith. And third, the gospel unleashes the power of God. So the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Verse 17, for in it, that being the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, so what does that word righteousness mean? It's really important to the book of Romans. Well, think of it this way. This is kind of a simple explanation, but think of righteousness right. Righteousness means right standing, right moral standing. Now pay attention, whose righteousness is it? It's God's, not yours. It's not you working your way into righteousness. That's not what salvation is. It's God's righteousness coming down and being given to you. And we're gonna unpack that more. But, but here's where this idea of God's righteousness stems from. It stems from a promise that God made to people in the Old Testament. And here was the basic promise, and it was almost like a contract. God said, hey, I'm gonna be your God, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna take care of you if you'll be my people and if you'll love me back, if you'll follow me. And God is a righteous God. He's a right God morally because he's faithful to his promises. He backed up what he said. Throughout the history of the world, God has been faithful to his people. He's done what he promised them he would do. But here's the trick. We weren't faithful to him. We didn't fulfill our end of the deal. And so this was God's solution. You know what? I'm gonna take care of my end and I'm gonna take care of your end. I'm gonna fulfill your side of the deal and then give you the rewards for the fulfilled promise. 
So when you buy a car, you sign a bill of sale. And, and the bill of sale says, hey, I, the buyer, am going to give you this amount of money for you to give me the car, right? And, and the seller sells it. I'm going to give you a car if you give me that amount of money. Here's what God did. He had the car and he brought the money to pay for it and then he gave the car to you. That's what salvation is. God fulfilling his end of the deal and yours so that you can experience the blessing of salvation that you never earned. That's what this book is about. How do you access it? You get salvation only through faith. There's this weird little phrase in verse 17 that says, from faith for faith. And I read a bunch of smart people who acted like they knew what this meant, but none of them actually did. There was like six different explanations of how that little, like what that little phrase meant. So I could like try and explain it, but I'm just guessing, all right? So I'm not gonna do that. But there's a little line after it that I think gives us some context. The righteous shall live by faith. Those people that have access to the righteousness of God have accessed it by faith. That's the major theme of the book of Romans. The only way to receive God's righteousness as salvation is through faith. It's not works, it's not good theology, it's not church attendance, it's not salt company attendance, it's not confession, it's faith. Why? Because faith is our way of saying, I'm giving up on trusting myself, I'm giving up on thinking that I can fulfill my end of the deal, and I'm gonna accept the gift that you've given me. I believe that you can be everything that I'm not. But here's the thing, that information about the righteousness of God that you can access by faith, it doesn't matter unless the power of God comes, unless he makes that mean something to you. So what does what the power of God revealed in the gospel means, mean? It means that he has the power to make the gospel real to you so that it's not just information, but something that actually changes your heart and the way that you live. It's the difference between looking at a painting of a waterfall and hiking out to a waterfall and walking under it and feeling the water on your back. Christianity is a, is a waterfall of God's grace and it's meant to be experienced, to be enjoyed, to be felt, not just understood. And it takes the power of God taking normal, ordinary words and igniting them in your heart so that it changes your life. And you might be saying, Jordan, I can't make that happen. How do I do that? Exactly. You can't make it happen. You can't. God has got to unleash his power into you. And so what can you do? You can come to him in faith. You can pray and you can ask him for it. You can ask him to make random pieces of information real in your soul and in your life. So here's what that looked like for me. I had become a Christian, but I had no clue what grace like actually meant in my life. And I had this stretch my freshman year of college where I um, about gave up on Christianity because I was so frustrated by my inability to actually live the life that I said that I should live. I felt like a hypocrite. And I wanted to give up on Christianity and I felt like God was ashamed of me, like he was pushing me away. And I walked into Salt Company and I sat there and I heard Romans 8 preached. 
Romans 8 says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the, the guy that was speaking looked out at the audience and he said, if you are in Christ, God is proud of you. And in that moment, stuff that I had heard before hit my heart. And I didn't just know this abstract reality of grace. It became my lifeline. It became all that I had. The power of God came into my life through the simple message of the gospel. And I finally experienced the forgiveness that other people had talked about that I had wanted through my whole life and I never actually knew how to feel. For probably the first time in my life, I sat there and went, God loves me and I didn't qualify it. That's what it's like to experience his power. And you know what? It didn't stop there. I went home and I was actually different. Not perfect, but there were sins that kind of immediately were out of my life. I started confessing sin and I put up these boundaries and I had people help me and I immediately was a different person. I've never been the same since because that's what Jesus does. He transforms you. And, and that's my prayer for Romans, for this series, for this semester, is that a simple message would ignite in your heart and that it would transform your life. And I'm nervous that some of you that have been around Christianity for a while are gonna kind of sit there and yawn like you've heard this before and like you know it. This is about the king of the universe dying on a cross for you. It never gets old. Paul preaches this gospel message to the Romans. Who are the Romans primarily? The, or the, the church that he was writing it to, they were Christians. They were Christians who needed the same thing that unbelievers needed, the power of the gospel released in their life. The gospel is the good news about Jesus for everyone that allows access to the righteousness of God by faith. Let me pray. Jesus, I, I pray for that to happen here that you would take like even inadequate <laughs> words and um, that you would take a normal Thursday night and normal Thursday nights throughout the semester and that they would become nights where the righteousness of God is revealed and where you change us, where you in your power actually make us different people and help us to actually live for you. God, don't let us see this as like some old message that we've heard before, but teach us what it's like to actually depend on it every second of our lives. And um, would that happen in worship right now? Like, would we respond to that message in the only way that we can, coming to you in faith and saying, you are amazing. Just, just taking joy in the good news that you've given to us. We love you. Amen.